From the Three Degrees Discussion Studio, I'm your host, Mike Vasquez. This is a podcast of one of the stories behind the innovators, entrepreneurs, and leaders in the 3D printing industry. You know, it's like split 50-50. It's like, you know, half the people you talk to, whether it's an aluminum powder producer or uh, an end-user OEM, you know, there's this excitement for a, you know, a printable 7000 series or, you know, we worked in some high temperature aluminum alloys, you know, something that could maybe replace titanium. There's this huge appetite for that. But then when it really comes down to it, you know, it, it could take hundreds of thousands of dollars to make some powder and do some prints and test it. And that's only like static mechanical properties. That was Jeff Grabowski. Jeff is recognized as an international thought leader in advanced materials design and commercialization across key industries, including space, aerospace, medical, automotive, high-performance racing, energy, consumer electronics, and many others. In his current role as manager of business development for Quest Tech Innovations, Jeff is at the forefront of identifying the most pressing materials challenges faced by industry and arriving at solutions leveraging Quest Tech's materials experts and proprietary integrated computational materials engineering technologies. He's actively helping develop and execute Quest Tech's strategy for complete materials digital transformation of its business in partnership with the world's most innovative materials producers and end users. Before we get started, head over to www.3degreescompany.com and subscribe to the podcast. Remember, you can listen to the show anywhere you download your podcast, including Spotify, Apple, Amazon, or Stitcher. Also, if you or anyone in your company are looking for materials, qualification, or general added manufacturing support, reach out to the team through our website or via email at info at 3degreescompany.com. All right, Jeff, thank you so much for joining the show today. Excited for the conversation. Um, like we do with all of our guests, uh, we always start at the beginning. So um, maybe quick intro, kind of where were you born, kind of how'd you grow up and kind of get on that path towards work in the, in the kind of technical added manufacturing space. Yeah, good to see you, Mike. Uh, thanks again for having me and, and uh, thinking about uh, Quest Tech and and uh, what we do in uh, in metal additive. Um, and uh, I guess, yeah, personally, I grew up in uh, southwest suburbs of Chicago, LaGrange, uh, basically lived there my whole life until I went to college. Um, I guess my pathway to a technical uh, life, uh, you know, probably started with a love of numbers as early as I can remember, kind of math. Um, probably, I don't know, whenever you really start getting into that fourth or fifth grade or so, um, and just was always kind of always started with math, love math. Um, eighth grade, I was, uh, voted by the math teachers as the one with the most, uh, capability in math. So I won our eighth grade mathematics award. Uh, I kind of joke with people that the only thing I, the only activity I did for four years in high school was a uh, math team. Uh, so I did a uh, math team in, uh, uh, in high school for four years. You know, you basically, after school, you practice math problems and then you go and a math <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Math You got it. <laughs> um, so that was kind of the early part. Um, and I would say too, uh, right around getting into high school, uh, I, I kind of developed a new best friend, uh, in, at, at the end of grade school and, uh, his older brother was three years older and kind of really into like science and things. And, uh, his dad was the physics teacher and one of the math team, uh, coaches in high school. So I had kind of, uh, 
you know, uh, an older, um, my friend's older brother that I looked up to that was really into kind of the sciences. And then, you know, their dad that was uh, kind of encouraging me to get on the math team to begin with and, you know, to AP chemistry and physics and calculus in high school. So I knew, you know, kind of in high school, it probably shifted to more like science because there's the numbers base or the math base with that. Um, and yeah, just applied to an engineering school at University of Illinois. Um, actually started out in electrical engineering. Uh, didn't really uh, uh, meld with my mind very well. I, I didn't like working with circuits uh, and things like that, at least the theoretical calculation of, of uh, electrical engineering problems. Um, and yeah, just transferred into material science uh, at Illinois my sophomore year and just loved it. Um, fell in love with it from, from that point forward and basically been in it my whole career. Did you know what material science was at the time? Like, cause it's always kind of a cryptic thing that you never like people understand what mechanical engineering is and electrical, right. When you're looking for schools, but what was the draw to materials? Yeah, no, it was a, uh, it was probably a dislike for electrical engineering and really kind of randomly running into a kid from my high school, uh, 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 at, at, on campus. Um, and he was, uh, actually my, my undergrad is in ceramic engineering. Uh, he was in ceramic engineering. He said, you should come check the department out. Um, it's awesome. And he kind of described what it was and, you know, the combination of physics and chemistry. Um, so he introduced me to it. I really had no idea prior to that, even being at college, uh, that it was a, a, a discipline. Um, I think, you know, uh, as I'm raising my own children who are years away from, you know, making a decision about college, you know, anytime I hear somebody younger that's into math or science, I, I want to try to expose them to the dif different disciplines because it's, it's easy not to know, you know, especially back then in the, in the nineties when there wasn't an internet, you know, you had to go to the library and things like that um, to understand what, what different engineering disciplines were. Uh, but no, I uh, didn't know about it really beforehand and, and just fell in love with it. So as you started your kind of career path on the material side or like academic path, did you have a sense of where you wanted to take that? Was it more school? Was it like a type of company or type of industry you wanted to work with? Yeah, at the end of undergrad, uh, I really wanted to keep taking classes and uh kind of keep doing research, but I really didn't want to commit to another four or five or six years for a PhD. Uh, so I, I continued schooling at Northwestern in materials engineering. Um, and I, I just went for a master's degree, which I thought was kind of a, a good mix. I also didn't really want to be kind of pigeonholed into some career path uh, at a national lab or other, you know, R&D at a company uh, for going for a PhD, not to generalize, but I, I just, at the time, you know, I thought a master's degree was kind of a good middle of the road. So that's what I did. Um, and I would say I liked more like hands-on research, kind of like industrial, you know, getting involved in manufacturing and industrial problems and using material science, uh, you know, background to kind of understand and assist uh, manufacturing. Um, so yeah, after my master's degree, uh, had a couple jobs early on in, in the steel industry with what was then Bethlehem Steel in Northwest Indiana. 
um, some uh, kind of ceramics, a ceramics processing facility. We did slip casting of ceramics and ceramic heaters for industrial heating. Uh, that was kind of early on. Um, and then, yeah, I had kind of a shift to uh, technical sales and application sales probably about 20 years ago. Uh, that was not on purpose, just kind of fell into it and um, loved it, you know, loved uh, interacting with uh, people at different companies and in different industries about their problems and how, <clears throat> how uh, the product we had could help 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 them in their in their manufacturing or research for those who may not be aware do you want to give kind of what's the what's the 101 on what is technical sales what is that role in kind of a, a, a company do yeah so um it's kind of you know technical sales or applications engineering um it's having a, a you know you work for a company that has a product that's maybe you know not very you know might be challenging for somebody to just look at and understand um, what you do. And and you're kind of like a lot, I, I, I think of it as a liaison between like what your company's technical offering is and communicating to the outside what that technology is. And then, and then uh, folks on, you know, people at companies that could potentially use your technology, you know, understanding their problems enough to know if your solution could align with their problem and then, and then kind of, you know, usually on a higher level, and then you bring in the experts on both sides, you know, deeper technical knowledge on on the inside at the company you work for, and then um, uh, also on the, the client side to really determine if their problem could be solved with your technology. And so along this path, like, w when was the first time you interacted with 3D printing? Uh, that would be... Uh, at Quest Tech in about 2014 okay. uh, or so. Um, and maybe to give a real high level background at Quest Tech, uh, I've, I've been at Quest Tech since 2010, about 13 years, but, um, and as a company, we've been around for 25 years in computational modeling uh, and materials engineering, which is basically um, using, uh, using software and computational uh, approaches, physics-based models to, understand a material system, predict the microstructure and predict properties based on inputs of composition and processing, uh, which is different than traditional methods, which are trial and error uh, methods, but um, which take a lot longer and are more expensive generally. Uh, but Quest Tech, um, you know, we do a lot of government funded research, a lot of research uh, directly with industry. And, uh, you know, I know Additive has been around for 30, you know, years, 30 plus years, and depending on how you define it, you know, longer than that. Um, Quest Tech really started getting into it kind of in the mid 2010s, you know, 2013, 2014, with funded programs from government and industry. Um, me personally, my first project, uh, and I think it was with one of your prior guests, uh, Craig Bryce and Brian Rosenberger from Lockheed. Um, Quest Tech had designed a uh, high strength castable titanium alloy, and they were doing a lot of research in tie wire additive. And so they approached Questec and said, Hey, we're aware of your cast titanium alloy. We'd love to see how it performs in, in wire additive. And so we took some of our material, converted it to wire, uh, did some printing at Skiaki and uh, uh, did some very 
kind of initial testing on it back then. But um, that was my first personal experience to metal additive. And, you know, um, as a materials engineer, it's, it's, um, it's, it's just another manufacturing process, you know, it's like forging or casting. Here's metal additive. It's different uniqueness to it on different scales, different approach, but still kind of you're melting something uh, and it cools and, and uh, you need to, make sure that it performs well uh, and and goes through those processes successfully. And what was the career trajectory that led you to Quest Tech? When did you first hear about them? Like, did you, were, was it the Northwestern connection since you had spent some time at Northwestern? Yes, it was, uh, I they were forming right as I was graduating because I, I went to grad school at Northwestern um, and master's program was 96 to 98 uh Questec formed in 97 um so i kind of had heard of them i knew you know greg olson and charlie kuman the company co-founders um back then i didn't really keep up too much with them i had a, a friend that that joined quest tech um an undergrad friend uh that joined quest tech um maybe like the 2005 time frame i joined in 2010 and i i had been at my my position uh, i was working in, in industrial gas kind of application development uh with praxair i was kind of maybe seven years into it and looking for a, a, a change of industry uh and was talking to my friend and you know he was i knew he worked at quest tech uh and they said they were looking for a, a technical salesperson uh at quest tech so uh that was yeah that was back in 2009 2010 time frame and uh uh, interviewed and, and got the job, uh, back then and, and, uh, been here since. So. And why don't we de dive a little bit deeper into kind of quest tech? What, so you, you mentioned there's computational modeling, um, and you do some research programs, like what, what's the business, or I guess what's like, as you guys do contract research or like companies come to you and say, Hey, we need an alloy that does this. Can you make it for us? Like what, how does, what was like the early concept of what, you guys were working on and maybe how has that matured? What do you guys kind of do mostly, mostly today? Yeah, that's a great question because we've certainly undergone an evolution uh, over the 25 years. Um, we were basically founded on this premise of being able to design new materials, achieving targeted properties that are defined by the, the client. Um, and we've gotten, you know, still predominant, um, revenue source for us percentage wise is government funding um so we go after a lot of government funding and they tend to fund or fund really high risk research like hey could you design uh an iobm alloy for next gen turbine blades that could you know achieve these properties and we'll work with an oem and and uh and and work on a program program like that but it's, it's really high risk um, but it would be high reward if you're successful um so we get hired mostly by the government you know a lot of programs for alloy design um, a lot of it is model development you know how do you really develop robust models that that are accurate uh to reality um and uh with we, we do work on a, a growing number of programs directly for industry and i'd say a lesser percentage of those is pure alloy design because it is so high risk and and uh uh, and time consuming, even with computational methods. Um, but a lot of that is kind of looking at their current state 
um, what material are they using? And maybe they want to maintain all of their properties, but just increase one like toughness or strength or corrosion resistance. And how do you tweak the composition? How do you tweak the, the heat treatment to, to do that? Um, I'd say the biggest shift for us, um, we're, we're, um, uh, have always been a services provider, we go after government funding, work with industry and, and try to, um, uh, get programs funded by industry for the problems. But we've been, uh, the last 18 months or so really focused on developing a software that will allow, uh, industry or government, um, clients to subscribe to our software and do all this modeling and design themselves in house. Um, we just released ICMD in July. So it's about a month old. Uh, and it, and it builds upon 25 years of programs, um, where we've, we've been able to, to calibrate and fine tune, fine tune models, build our own databases of properties of the elements, uh, and integrate everything in a very user-friendly way. It's, it's called ICMD, uh, launched, launched in July. And, and we're seeing a lot of interest in it from alloy producers, uh, and OEMs as well as the government. Uh, and I think in some, you know, definitely in some of our programs, there's a sensitivity, uh, for the client to share with us what they're working on or like details of what they've tried in the past that worked or didn't work. And with the software, it'll be a black box to us. We won't, we won't know, you know, the, whatever models they run, whatever calculations they make will be on their side and we won't know at all what they're working on. Um, so we think it should open up some doors too with folks uh, um, to, to do all, all this uh, uh, modeling themselves. And so, I mean, from a US perspective, how many of the, um, can you maybe talk a little bit about like the actual making of the material? So you guys create a recipe that has a target use case target properties then what's the next step do you have to go to a carpenter or whoever whoever it may be to say like hey can you make us this like how, how does that work or do you guys get much into that space to like prove it out yeah we uh and we brought a few materials to market from basically trl zero technology readiness level zero from concept to kind of proof out at lab scale and then commercialization and, and uh, flight. We have a, a suite of ferrium steels that are licensed to Carpenter Technology. Um, and they're flying on on uh, a number of landing gear components, space components, uh, high performance racing, Formula One. Um, but uh, we, we have in-house capability to make kind of quarter sized uh, prototype material. Like if you stack three quarters on top of each other. So uh, we work across all material systems, aluminum, titanium, uh, cobalt, copper, nickel, steel, refractory alloys like niobium and moly and tungsten. Um, and so we could come up with the designs. We can make the prototype material in house. We have a full mat lab here, and then we're right, we're a mile away from Northwestern. I'm pointing that way because it's over my shoulder. Uh, I could walk there in about 10 minutes. Uh, their material science uh, and engineering lab um, and all their characterization resources. Um, so we can make prototype material in house, kind of heat treat it, test it, um, and understand. Did, did, does the microstructure look like uh, we are targeting with the composition and, and thermal processing? When we when we design a material, it's never like 
hey, we designed it in the computer. We're ready to make components and fly it. Now there's a kind of an iteration of making material, testing it, calibrating the models to make them more accurate, and then maybe doing a redesign. Um, but any of those material systems that I mentioned, the next step would be a 50 pound heat or a 500 pound heat. Um, and to really scale it up, you know, 10 tons or more. And over the years, we've just developed relationships with the supply chain. So we, we know where to go, you know, who, who can cast us, you know, a, um, hundred pound ingot of a custom titanium alloy or aluminum, um, you know, or in the case of, uh, additive, you know, who, who's, who's willing to do, small powder runs of custom compositions um and and it varies uh depending on what alloy it is i mean you know carpenter will do or praxair you know would do uh nickel and steel predominantly but who do you go to for aluminum or for niobium or tungsten it's kind of all all different folks and it's uh it's a challenge but but we certainly have relationships to to get that done and talk about the additive like in terms of interest in in the new alloys i mean one of the challenges early on was like okay you've got this potential manufacturing process that is exciting but because of the processing constraints is somewhat limited right with how it how the laser fuses it thermal um issues getting the powder in the right size like what where did you guys like where, where have you seen that technology evolve in, in terms of what you guys are doing? Is there more interest? Has it kind of been steady state since it's, it's, it's evolution over the last decade? Yeah, good question. Um, certainly, there's a huge appetite and a huge technical interest in new materials that perform better. But I, I, I feel when it really, and I'll take aluminum as an example, um, you know, I've heard, and I'm sure you and your discussions, uh, uh, given some of the work you do in metal additive, um, you know, there's kind of like two, you know, it's like split 50-50. It's like, you know, half the people you talk to, whether it's an aluminum powder producer or uh, an end user OEM, you know, there's this excitement for a, you know, a printable 7000 series or, you know, we've worked in some high temperature aluminum alloys, you know, something that could maybe replace titanium. There's this huge appetite for that. But then when it really comes down to it, you know, it, it could take hundreds of thousands of dollars to make some powder and do some prints and test it. And that's only like static mechanical properties. Well, what about corrosion? What about um, what about fatigue? Uh, which, uh, you know, is, uh, there's a lot of in aerospace that might be willing to pay for printable aluminum. There's a lot of fatigue prone applications or fatigue limited. Um, so there's, there's this extreme interest, but then when it comes down to it, there's like this apprehension to, uh, to do anything with it. And then, you know, there's the, the cost aspect. And when, when you really get down to it, well, yeah, actually we don't, we can't really justify the cost for it. Um, so I don't know, it's, it's been evolving. There's a lot of technical interest. Um, I, I think that's actually an opportunity for, for uh, computational materials engineering though, um, our software and our, you know, we're, we're asked a lot of times to kind of try to quantify the variation of properties given variation in the inputs of the composition, the print parameters, the heat treatment. And, um, you know, there's, a, there's obviously a lot of variability 
machine to machine, you know, on one model or across, you know, like a 3D systems machine to an EOS machine or something, um, you know, and, and I know, I think you're on an ASTM committee. Are you on the F42 committee or you've been involved in that? Over times, I'm probably a delinquent member because I don't show up enough okay. to enough working groups, but, but <laughs> points, yes, yes, of course. Yeah, so you're aware of the complexity of all that, but um, we're, we're trying to use computational approaches to kind of accelerate that and reduce the risk and say, you know, hey, you don't have to do all this testing or, you know, you don't have to go down, you know, a MMPDS uh, design allowables path. We could kind of predict earlier on what you'd expect after, you know, variations in, um you know, across powder suppliers and lot to lot chemistries and printing and heat treatment. Um, but I don't know, it's, it's, you know, there is, it's, uh, it's still, um, you know, growing and maybe kind of a resurgence in interest in new materials, but still kind of a conservatism in it. Do you see more powders or you mentioned your first effort was with the wire fed work that Sayaki is doing like do you see a mix of 50 50 or where where do you see more of the interest we've probably i'd say powder bed fusion is our biggest um kind of technology uh second to that would be powder blown ded technologies um least would be binder jet some some wire um programs uh for you know bigger components like aircraft structures and, and things like that um but no it's 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 a pretty good pretty good mix and so maybe going back to kind of your career what what's what's a day in the life like right you mentioned that you work there's government programs you guys work on there's industry work there's new technologies like how do you think about kind of organizing your day and and maybe give folks who are kind of interested in in different pathways and, and additive a little bit of insight on kind of what uh some of the work that you do yeah um and i'll focus on the added part i'd say I, my my function at Questec, i mean my my primary function is to identify industrial problems and kind of future materials performance directions that that companies would like to go and they're struggling uh, to go and maybe it's a manufacturing problem of variability and performance or they need they're looking for new materials for 10 20 years down the road um and so that could be casting it could be forging it could be additive um so maybe a third to half my conversation i'd say yeah third to half my conversations are metal additive and um i to kind of go back to the trends i, I think um and you've probably seen this too uh, I, I've been surprised that some of the largest corporations in the world who even as recently as, you know, like a year or two ago, when you have a conversation with their advanced manufacturing teams or their, their materials teams, they still know very little about metal additive. Like they're just, just starting their endeavors in metal additive. Like, yeah, we're, we've been asked to look into it and see how it could, you know, benefit our business. It's like, you know, wow, you're, you know, I, 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 I would have thought that your, your company would have been further ahead than that. Um, but I, that, that seems to be kind of trickling away. Like people seem to me a lot more educated on even what it is and what could it, what could it do? Uh, but, uh, it could be, you know, I, I go to a lot of conferences, so it's kind of meeting people and following up on conversations at conferences. We have people reaching out for us all the time on, 
this problem in a metal additive, or can you help with that? Uh, so it's it's having initial conversations with folks, um, understanding their problems or their direction, kind of again assessing does Questec have the capabilities to help, and if so, um, you know, bringing in the right technical resources on the Questec side, whether it's you know one of our experts in nickel to help out a client interested in nickel or somebody who is having uh, printability problems and cracking and bringing in, you know, the technical folks at Questec that can help model and understand the, the root cause, the origins and remedies uh, to prevent the material from cracking in, in, uh, in additive. Um, so it's kind of, uh, yeah, any given day, it's a, a range of, um, uh, initial conversations with clients through like, you know, very complex problems that they're looking, uh, to, to resolve. And then, and then, you know, once we, um, close a program or, you know, start a program, then it's, you know, being involved in, in the evolution of the technical support and, and delivery of, of the proposed program. Um, and, it, and really it's, uh, Aerospace is is one of the major um, space and aerospace because you know there's a lot of funding there and also um, you know I think the the increased cost of uh, metal additive in, in some cases could be justified more easily but um, but we have conversations you know all the time in oil and gas or consumer electronics um, medical device uh, there's another one um, you know where where there's certainly uh, cost justify cost justification is easier than like oil and gas let's say but sure awesome and so a couple more questions um as you look out i mean we're in, kind of getting into q4 of the year what what are you excited about in terms of technologies or things that you're seeing in the added manufacturing space when I mean, you've got your new software out so there's there's that but like how do how are you seeing kind of the evolution of the industry mix into um just general trends that, that you guys are working on wow that's a really good question um i don't know if i really see i'm, I'm trying to think if there's any any new technologies or anything that i see on the horizon um i still think it's uh there's there's uh maybe some new you know i think I'm interested to see where binder jet might go. Um, Cause that's something that I haven't really personally tracked much, but I know that may that, you know, the uh, cost justification for binder jet is a lot better than say for, for uh, laser powder bed fusion. Um, you know, there's some new, new uh, vendors coming out like jewel, um, you know, with e-beam uh, uh, powder blown technologies. Um, I think it's, uh, you know, there's so many technologies and I think um, that's maybe part of the reason why folks are so it's, it's hard to really kind of get your arms around what, what is the metal additive market? Cause it's like, there's so many machine suppliers and so many, you know, uh, um, uh, powder providers and um, you know, how, how do you really proceed with, uh, with, what, with what you're looking to do in metal additive, but um, I don't know, kind of, kind of a long-winded answer there. Uh, I don't know if I really have anything other than that, that I'm, that I see on the, the horizon. Which conferences do you guys go to? That's always a, something that I'm, I'm curious about now that we've got 
Form Next US and AMUG and all these rapid, like, are there things that you guys find very valuable in term, from an industry perspective in attending? I think rapid and AMUG are our two big two. We've been to Mill AM and have found that pretty useful. Um, Formnex is actually one in Europe, and I know there's some in the States too that I don't believe we've ever gone to, um, but I've heard a lot of really good things about. And then one that I think we went to maybe for the first time last year, uh, ICAM. Um, mm-hmm. I think we're planning to continue to go to ICAM. Um, so I, I think most of those are, uh, that that covers most of it. So last question, um, more of a fun question. Um, what's a favorite book or an impactful book that had a, um, uh, uh, an impact on your career or your life or how you think about things? Do you have a favorite? Good question. Um, I shouldn't say this uh, out loud, but uh, being an engineer, uh, I'm not as big of an avid reader as, uh, you know, probably a lot of people, um, you know, focus uh more interested in building spreadsheets and things um but uh i don't know i've i've kind of read a series of books um or a number of books kind of on uh emotional intelligence and kind of uh you know i guess psychology um just kind of uh you know to help help in interactions with people and uh you know, think about your own mind and what's going through your mind and, and, uh, uh, things like that. So I'd probably kind of generalize it like that. Cool. All right, Jeff. Well, thank you so much for joining the show today. We'll see you at some of the upcoming conferences and best of luck on the the software launch and continuing, um, work on that. All right. Yeah. Thanks for having me again, Mike. I appreciate it and look forward to, uh, to seeing you, uh, in the future.